You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Dave Sorg is a principal at OPN Architects, an architectural firm that has done significant work here in the Corridor and beyond for decades. Dave and his firm have designed everything from banks, libraries, fire stations, and high schools, to courthouses, rec centers, and performing arts centers like the University of Iowa's famous Hancher Auditorium. I talked to Dave about starting with blank sheets of paper that ultimately become a physical fusion of ideas, utility, and art. It's a process that has gone from draft board drawings to virtual reality goggles. Dave shares his insights about the importance of speech and communication in architecture and the concept of authenticity at all costs. He also shares a real-life Tom Sawyer story about his foray into general contracting. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Dave, thanks so much for, for joining us this afternoon. One of the things I've always admired about folks in your pr- profession, architecture, is the ability to kind of balance the creative side of your work with the practical, meaning the, you know, hey, we've, a client has a budget and uh, we got to, you know, build this amazing building. We got to also keep it within a certain dollar amount. What attracted you to the work from the beginning? Was it, was it more of the, the business side, the practical side of it, or was it more of the, the creative, artistic design side? More of the creative artistic side, the idea of starting with a blank sheet of paper and then coming and listening to a client, what their goals and objectives are, and then ultimately coming up with a building that in most cases far exceeds their expectations. Was architecture something you always admired as a kid growing up? It was more in high school when I started to think about just where I'm going to head and I just appreciate the creativity. I did work construction one summer, so I did <laughs> like the practical side, but after the first day at work, I had to climb up a 30-foot ladder and be on a roof. Oh, no more of that. Yeah. yeah, I think <laughs> I, I wanted to start drawing instead of building. Yeah. What What was it about architecture from the beginning that, that drew you in? Just the idea of um, how, when you look at the built environment, I mean, it's, architecture is an art, but it's a very permanent art. Our mm-hmm. buildings are around for 50 or 100 years, and to think of how important it is to take a client's a set of their goals and objectives and their vision and turn it into reality and you look at a blank sheet of paper and again it's an enormous responsibility but it is something i absolutely love doing and because it is that balance between the the practical working with clients working with their budgets and the and the creative what skill set did you have as a kid in high school and college and studying that that helped you be a great architect and then i guess to flip that question around when you guys are hiring at opn what's the skill set uh, that you look for in a, in a great candidate to join your team? Yeah, so it's a, that's a great question when you think about most people focus on math. Like, well, we need math. I didn't yeah. go into architecture because I, I, I don't love math. Math is not something that you need to focus on. Of course, it's involved, but and it's we got really Excel about, sheets for that, right? We have Excel yeah. sheets. We have Justin Bishop for that. So <laughs> we have, um, so it's really about being creative and mm-hmm. you have to be a great problem solver and you have to be a great communicator. So we tell everyone when they're interested in architecture that get in as many speech classes as you possibly can because we have to constantly sell ourselves, sell our ideas, and you have to communicate effectively um, both the design and 
uh, the overall project. Yeah, let's talk a bit about a couple of those things you just mentioned, most notably on the communication side. That's something that that I've realized is, is incredibly important in your line of work, just you know, both communicating with an existing client or oftentimes you guys are going in and pitching and proposing and doing a lot of those things for, for jobs that you want to try and win and all that kind of boils down into communication. Right. How do you, how do you guys approach that? What are, what are some pillars for a successful uh, communication strategy, both to current clients or prospective clients? Yeah, well, first, you have to, for, first and foremost, you have to be authentic. So, um, and then you have to be really clear with what it is you're bringing to the table. For example, if we're going to compete for a project it is, it is incredibly important that we clearly articulate what it is that we're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. So in many cases, it's what your di- differentiators are. Um, once you have the project, many times clients haven't been through this process before. So we must go through and very clearly describe what the How entire works, process yeah. is and let them know that you know it's, it continues to be about them. It's mm-hmm. about a reflection of their goals and objectives, their vision, and, uh, and then make sure you're touching base with them at every step. Sure. Um, and then on the problem-solving side, what are, what are some big lessons you've learned about how to solve problems? Because you're going through, a, you know, for example, a six-month design phase and then a 12- to 18-month construction phase. There's, there's a thousand problems that need to be solved to build one building, right? Oh. Talk, talk a bit about some lessons you've learned around problem-solving during your career. Yeah, I think you have to start with an alignment of expectations. Mm-hmm. So one thing we do is we ask clients if they've got a group of people to make sure that they have a synthesized vision. Mm-hmm. So you can't be successful if you're trying to make four different visions uh, work at the same time. The second thing is you need to align your budget with what their expectations are. So they may want a four-story building, but they can afford three stories or sure. something like that. So I think that's um, setting up and aligning expectations is the most important step. Yeah, from the beginning. Talk a bit, let's rewind a little bit. Talk a bit about your professional story. And you mentioned in high school you got into architecture. What, walk us through what, what your journeys looked like to, to being a partner at OPM. Well, someone asked me like this key, was there a pivotal moment? And there actually was. So I, I decided I was going to get into architecture school. And in the state of Iowa, Iowa State is the one school that has an accredited program. So while I was a pretty, Hawkeyes, I was yeah, a pretty big Hawk fan at the time. Got to let Iowa State have a few things, right? Yeah, exactly. So that hasn't changed. But um, a really pivotal, pivotal moment was I was a sophomore in college, and someone was talking about, hey, you really need a summer internship. So I'm like, okay, I, I can do that. And so I called two firms in Cedar Rapids. Uh, one is no longer around, but it was three names. Mm-hmm. And the other one was OPN. So I did the first firm for the, the three name firm was first and I wasn't, I could not remember who I was supposed to meet with. It was one of the three names, but I'm looking at him and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to guess. I got a one in three chance. So I said, I'm here to see Mr. So-and-so. And the receptionist looked at me with a strange look and she said, uh, he is not alive, sir. (laughs) And so needless to say, they were not impressed with me. Didn't even know who I was supposed to meet with. And I went to OPN and I was hired as a summer intern that same afternoon and the rest is history. I've been there for including summer internships for 30 years. That's great. And what's that first year look like as you come on as a, as a junior architect in a firm like OPN? Talk to us a bit about how that, how that first year looked. What were some of the, the, the memories as you look back on it? Uh, you know, we were a different firm then. Mm-hmm. We were one office with 20 people versus four offices and 120 people right now. Um, but it's, it's a little overwhelming because you do, you think about, we have to figure out how to detail a building and you have to understand code and all the life safety yeah. and the ADA and all of these issues, as well as design a great building. So you really have to 
just be patient, learn as much as you possibly can, get to as many job sites, ask questions. And uh, as an architect, you also want to become licensed. And so you're doing everything you can. At the time, you had to work three years. The accreditation so, and the professional development. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So you need hours and then um, and you have to fulfill certain requirements and then take what at the time was a four-day test. So you're really working towards uh, mm -hmm. passing that exam. In your early years at OPN, is there one job or project that really jumps out to you and you say, man, that's the one when I really fell in love with, with that line of work? Is there kind of a, a crowning jewel early on in your career that really put the, put the hook, hook line sinker in you for a life, a life in architecture? So I grew up in Fairfax and uh, my father worked at the bank there for well over a decade and uh, they needed a pretty significant addition to the bank. And so I was fortunate enough to be a part of that work. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was really important to be able to work closely with the group of people community. that yeah, my own community and, and, yeah. and uh, so that was great. And then is the, the next one was John Deere Credit, which is now John Deere Financial in Johnson, Iowa. But at that time it was the largest building in our firm's history and to work with a worldwide company like John Deere, um, that was a pretty rewarding experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. David, talk a bit about your upbringing. And as, as you were a kid was, and obviously you're as a partner at OPN, you know, part of your job is to, you know, run a successful business and you guys are very entrepreneurial. Was there anything, any young entrepreneurial endeavors that you had, lemonade stands or anything like that, that, that really got that, that going for you? That makes me think about, I was 15 and uh, I was excited about the opportunity to make some money for scraping and painting a white picket fence. And that excitement waned an hour into it, a lot more a day into it, and two days later, I'm like, I gotta figure something <laughs> out. And it was a little Huck Finn-like, but uh, another neighborhood kid stopped by, and I just asked him if he wanted to help out. So I decided to be more of a general contractor, and I was in charge, <laughs> Project of, manager? I was yeah. in charge of schedule <laughs> and, perf and performance, and uh, I paid them a slightly lower amount, right. and, yep. and everything got paid. to make a profit, I like it. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> That's great. How about early mistakes? We all make them, and every, every line of work we have that you learn from, is there, is there something that stands out to you, a, a moment or a client or a certain project that, that you, you may have learned a lot from? There was a time where we teamed with a national firm, mm -hmm. and they weren't able to come in, and we were, had to go interview for a project for a, a Cedar Rapids company, and they weren't able to come in until an hour before the interview. And... I just remember the feeling of knowing it wasn't our best. Yeah, uh, It was a very uncomfortable feeling and not anything I ever wanted to repeat. And, and the client deserved more um, than two teams that hadn't really got to know one another. Sure. Um, what, what's always been interesting to me about people in your line of work is how, where and how you get your inspiration, right? Because it's, it's tricky because you want to be inspired, but you can't, you can't copy certain things and plug yeah. them into each place. We all do that. We travel around the... United States or the world and you look at amazing buildings and talk a bit about your creative process and how that how you guys work through that and to make something uniquely yours and where you draw inspiration from and how all that works so one thing we love to do is travel and when you look at whether it's Rome or you're looking at things from a historical perspective or looking at the most cutting-edge work in London or Barcelona um, so I think that's a huge part of it, is just understanding what's happening around the globe. Sure. Um, as far as design, I'm one of two people in our firm that leads what's called our Design Excellence Program. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have to do is ensure a consistent 
level of design excellence across all project types and across all studios. So what we do when we look at these other projects is we look, start with, is there a clear and relevant big idea? And, and then is it simple? You know, we, it shouldn't be complicated. And then we need to make sure that there's a rigor that starts from the initial design all the way through the detailing. We want to make sure it's well edited and, uh, and really come up with a really clean, simple, beautiful solution. How would you describe you personally, your design style? If, if you were to put it into a sentence or two, how would you describe it? Is there a signature to a, a David Soar design building? Less is more. So okay. less is more. Ludwig Mies van der Rohe is a 20th century modernist architect who coined that phrase, and it's the idea that beauty can be in things that are simple. Mm -hmm. um, I think that applies to both design and life, for that matter, get rid of the clutter. But if you look at a lot of buildings, you know, if there are six materials, could there have been three, mm -hmm. right? If it has angles and curves, could it have been just as beautiful if it was rectangular? So it's really uh, understanding the program and having an honest expression of what that program is three-dimensionally. Yeah. But really focus on, again, simple idea and a really well-edited project. Is there a building or two in the Iowa City Cedar Rapids area that, that you've designed that you could point to that best uh, exemplifies that? So Great Western Bank mm -hmm. uh, just completed the yeah. ribbon cutting Beautiful building. July yeah. 15th. Thank mm -hmm. you. And that is, it's a clean rectangle, but as someone was looking at it, they said, you know, it's really simple, but there's a lot going on. And the lot going on is just in some of the layers and the detailing, but that's all about creating a large presence on a very busy street in Cedar Rapids with a First Avenue presence. Yeah. Um, and then creating the, if you've seen it at night, there's a perforated wall that starts to create a pretty interesting um, aesthetic with the artificial light. Sure. Um, and then the, it, it serves as a signage backdrop as well. How about if someone were to spend uh, half a day doing an architectural tour of the corridor and they were to go Iowa City to Cedar Rapids, both, this could be either older buildings or newer newer builds. Are there, you know, what's what's the must see, the, the top hits of the corridor from an architecture standpoint? Do you have certain buildings that you point to that, that are really impressive? They don't necessarily have to be OPN's work or anyone's for that matter. Sure, I think you would start with Hancher. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where we were the architect of record. We teamed with Cesar Pelli out of New Haven, Connecticut, yeah. and um, it's, I, I think it's a really beautiful piece of architecture, and when you... Again, I mean, it's simple in the material, but certainly when you look at it, it's very grand, and it might not be, but it, I mean, it's, it's very, it doesn't have, you know, 20 different, yeah. you know, exterior claddings or whatever it might be, right? It, it's, That's a great point. It, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's interesting and complex in its form, mm -hmm. and part of that is, is a natural result of what it does. Um, to house a performing arts right. center, but you're right. There's a singular material that wraps the entire building. But to me, that's one where when you walk in, you can feel the architecture. There's a, um, I mean, I feel it's almost Absolutely. profound in a way. Yeah. And I think that goes hand in hand with what a facility like that should do when mm -hmm. you're going to see some of the world's greatest work. Yeah, it has a feeling to it. How about older historic buildings? Is there something there that you, let's, let's focus just on Cedar Rapids. Is there a favorite older building of yours up in that area? The what is was the IE Tower, the Alliant Tower. What's interesting is it's not complicated, but it's something that serves its purpose really well. It is, I mean, that would be the definition of timeless. It's very simply and purely just expressing its verticality. It's a series of um, white painted precast columns with vertical windows in it. And uh, again, it's not complicated or awe inspiring, it's just really clean. And simple and again I think it's stood yeah. the test of time you mentioned the word timeless I think that's one of the biggest challenges for 
for architects is you're not only building something for today that has to serve a purpose for your client and uh, you know the functionality of it, but these are things that are going to be in a community, assumedly, for 20, 30, 50, 100, 150, 200 plus years, right? right. So how do you balance the needs of, of today and the practical versus the kind of the future and the long-term impact? How do you create something timeless? I think when something is honest and it's it focuses on it's a 3D representation of what it is. And that, that, that is both the program, what are the components inside mm-hmm. the building, as well as the vision of the client. And so if you can avoid cliche moves, um, things that might be trendy now, and you just apply them to a building and really just focus on the space and light, you know, mass and void, and uh, simplicity and form and really limited materials, it, I think it is timeless because if you think about glass, rather than trying to come up with some fancy window pattern, if there's a place that needs glass, try to make it floor to ceiling glass and just let it be. So right. it's about the natural light and the views to the exterior versus creating something more complicated. Yeah, that's great. And about the future, um, you know, technology, we talk a lot about it on this on this podcast, but how it's obviously had a huge effect on the work that you guys have done, just how you present material and the tools you have to yes. create design. If you were to fast forward 15 years from now, how do you think architecture and design could be further disrupted and changed? What do you, what do you see coming down the pipeline? Yeah, there are two things that I think will fundamentally change where architecture is headed, and one is absolutely technology, both in the design and construction. So when I think back to when I started in 1992, and if we did a three-dimensional rendering to show to the client, I was doing it by hand, and you had the one view, Mm -hmm. right? And then it was done with marker and colored pencil. Now we're putting on VR goggles, and clients can literally be in the building. building. And when you see clients jumping and, you know, their reactions, you know that's a fully immersive experience. Uh, right now, there are uh, 3D printed elements of a building, and there are some buildings that are trying to make entirely 3D printed or robotic arms that help people lay up masonry. So that's pretty extraordinary, and to think of how that's going to change our profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes, but there's something that's very human that's running parallel to technology that I think is going to change architecture moving forward, and that is there's something called well. And Well is a new third-party rating system that is about how buildings impact humans, Hmm. whereas LEED, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, was how buildings impact the environment. And so there's this focus now on how buildings impact human beings. And I think that when you think about a project we're doing, the Marion Fire Station, for example, and PTSD, to think that you can create a building that enhances human wellness, yeah. health and wellness. I mean, in biophilia, biophilia is a connection to nature. So I think this is going to be something you'll hear more about as we move forward. That's great. Um, looking back on your career, just in general, and the overall just kind of journey that you've had as an architect, is, has there been one sort of you know, big break or turning point? I know, you know your career and that of OPN as a company are very much intertwined, but was there you know, a big project or a big moment that really kind of set you guys off on a different trajectory as you look back on it? I would say that our relationship with the University of Iowa, as well as Deere and Company, those two clients got us into projects that were significantly larger than what we had done at that time. Mm -hmm. And pushed you guys to a new, a new place. They do. Challenged you. They they do. And um, they were just some, again, great clients and great projects. And once you 
have executed that work and done it successfully, it opens up the door for a whole new world of, right. of clients and project opportunities. That's great. Um, we like to finish the, each conversation with some quick rapid fire questions just to kind of give a, a different look into, into you and your background and what makes you tick. Uh, David, if you were to look back on your career and contribute your success to either luck or hard work, what, how, would you, how would you split that up? I think I'll go with the Thomas Jefferson quote where it seems like the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right. So I think it's mostly hard work. There are absolutely times where luck could play a role, but I almost think it's more timing. If, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, I think of Kurt Warner, for example. If Trent Green doesn't get hurt, right. Kurt Warner still may be a backup, and he isn't. Yeah, but uh, if he wouldn't have busted an his MVP. tail and did, you know, put groceries on the shelves in high V or whatever else he did, right, he would never have that chance. Exactly. But, yeah. So you know, that was just more alignment of taking advantage mm-hmm. of the opportunity. That's a timing issue. So... I think luck is a dangerous thing to, to think about and just work hard and good things will happen. Sure. If given the chance, and you've been in one, one profession your entire life, so this will be a fun one. Other, other than architecture, if you were to have a chance to uh, explore a different career or jump into a different career, what would it be a different profession? Well, my 40-year-ago answer would be professional baseball player. Okay. That ship has <laughs> sailed. The, uh, Maybe 10 or 20 years ago, I might have thought an attorney, just I really love the idea of problem solving and navigating through, uh-huh. you know, arguments. Right now, my skill set is so limited, I think I'd probably be unemployed. <laughs> That's not a bad one either. It's a good profession. Um, do you have a business leader? I mean, obviously with OPN, it goes beyond just the, the skill and the craft of designing buildings. You guys are running a business as well. Has there been someone that, that you guys have followed or yourself personally, a, another business leader that's drawn inspiration? You know, on a national level, if you take Elon Musk and some of the recent the issues stuff, that yeah. he's dealing with and set it aside as someone who is relentlessly trying to change the world. Mm-hmm. But what is unique, what I pay attention to is his why. And his why is, is he wants to, you know, take away our dependence on certain type of energy. Yeah. And, uh, and so when you think about sustainable energy, which is his focus, um, I just think that's pretty, um, pretty noble. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how about outside of architecture, just a favorite podcast or TV show that you're diving into at the moment? You know, it seems like we're at that point with three kids and there's, we're always running and it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't change it for the world. But I would say as it relates to just TV, for example, uh, college football and watching it with our kids is yeah, that's right fun. there at the top. Uh, favorite motivational quote, anything that you live by or OPN has as, a, as kind of a motto? Well, I mentioned less is more, but the other quote I I absolutely love by Jim Collins is, good is the enemy of great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, always striving for more and reaching to new heights. If you had 30 extra minutes in each day, what would you do? I would spend more time with friends and family and get groceries. (laughs) That's good. Do some cooking, too, with those? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I guess that would have to come along with it. (laughs) Somewhere on the back end of that. Uh, How about a book? Anything that you've read lately that's been influential? Blink. Uh, it's not a new book by yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, but yep. when I just think of, you know, we're in a, a visual sort of profession and we're also having to present and do things like that. And when you think of things like people make up their judgment in seven seconds, sure. you know, that's just a fascinating reality to... What's the cover of that proposal look like, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Uh, and then the last question, if you had one sentence, uh, how would you define success? Making a positive difference in people's lives. Awesome. Outstanding, David. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Nate. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.